Well, good morning, dear friends. Uh, thank you for that very lovely introduction, Steve. Um, it's been quite a ride, uh, that's for sure. Um, these past uh, couple of years uh, have been really challenging for so many reasons. I uh, just before things started closing up with the pandemic, I, I took a more regular job at the hospital, uh, working as a chaplain there. Uh, I've been work I've been working there about five years, and um, the level of uncertainty and fear back in March and April of 2020. That's when. Many people were sanitizing groceries uh, before bringing them in. And um, I remember stepping into the hospital and uh, I didn't want to be there at all. Uh, I was really anxious. Um, and of course, we have so many other background, uh, background stressors and anxieties. 2020 was the election uh, year, and we have um, just climate change for so many years that we've been looking at and living with, and, and currently observing a war in a way that I have never experienced before with people uh, sharing their personal stories um, over the internet. It's a lot for uh, for the heart, for the mind to take in, and and I think like many people, I experienced a, uh, quite a bit of overwhelm, uh, particularly in in the fall of 2020, and again uh, as uh, things started ticking up again in 2021 in the fall around the pandemic and it's easy living here in Montana in the summers uh, you know things are kind of okay because you can be out and about and uh, you can be out and about in the winter too it's just different and um, and I kind of I, I, I tried to uh, talk my way out of it uh, in kind of in my mind uh, reason my way out of it Think like, well, you know, I've been Dharma practitioner for 20 years, and um, I know how to handle this, and um, I just need to look at it differently. I need to examine these things differently, and it wasn't working uh, for me. I was finding that that overwhelm was was remaining, and my ability to concentrate was uh, was very low. It was hard to hold a thought for for very long. Uh, irritability was high. Um, just starting to feel more and more disconnected, uh, feeling a little bit underwater. I don't know if uh, other people experience that at these times, but I'm sure at other times in your life you may have experienced it. And so. What I worked with a lot uh, during these past couple of years 
is really coming back to the body. What I realized is that my body is always in the present moment. It, it actually can't be anywhere else. And tuning into what is happening inside my body. Uh, during our meditation this morning, there is the invitation to look at uh, our feeling tone, whether it's a negative or positive or neutral feeling. Not even looking at is it painful, is it worry, is it sadness, is it joy? Not even looking at that level. Just is it positive, negative, or neutral? And the invitation to notice that through the lens of is this coming from my body or is it coming from my mind? Because we do experience uh, our bodies can create an experience inside of us of negative or positive or neutral, especially if we have uh, pain, um, if if we're experiencing something very pleasant, we might be cold or too warm. There might be wildfire smoke in the air, and that uh, can have an effect. Any of these things. We might be ill um, or just tired. Uh, so those things can all kind of color our feeling tone. Uh, is, is our experience positive, negative, or neutral? And then, of course, the mind can have that effect as well. We can visit the news, uh, we can read about um, the war, we can read about climate change, we can read about the pandemic and the way that people are responding to it. And so that information coming in, and then of course what our body is is providing us, uh, kind of can create this this experience inside. And so the invitation that I gave to myself was, well, let's come back to just the body. Let's, let's um, not ignore the mind, not ignore that information coming from the mind, but maybe let's let it rest a little bit. Let's let it, let it rest in the background. And let's just come home to the body, just as it is right now, right here. My experience was that um, in doing that, my whole being settled down a little bit. My nervous system settled down. My ability to to not feel overwhelmed, settled, that ability actually increased. My ability, my feeling overwhelmed decreased. And it was very, very simple practice, just noticing, just noticing sensation, noticing uh, contact uh, on the floor, on the cushion, noticing temperature, noticing if there were feelings of constriction or expansion, noticing if there was tension added, 
added tension. I always say added tension uh, because sometimes our bodies are holding tension for protection, and sometimes we're holding tension because we don't mean to be, uh, because there's something happening inside our mind. Uh, so re- releasing that added tension, you're really coming home to the body uh, in this present moment, and allowing allowing experience to move through the body. And so that was my meditation practice. Just body scanning, uh, being aware of what was happening in the body, uh, taking the time to notice uh, the body as I move throughout the day, checking in with the body from time to time. What am I experiencing right now? Right now, what is inside my body? And what this uh, what this did was opened up uh, my capacity to concentrate more, uh, to be more present with what was happening. And I um, rediscovered uh, one of the sutras from the Theravadan tradition, from the original uh, sutra collection, uh, the Four Establishments of Mindfulness. Uh, And in it, the Buddha talks about how to really find our ground in mindfulness. And he starts with the very first thing that it starts with, even before he talks about the Four Establishments, is just finding our breath. And I like that uh, phrase, finding. Uh, Another word I use is discovering the breath. Because we're breathing all the time. But sometimes we aren't uh, noticing it. And so finding the breath is helpful. I imagine when you're outdoors and looking up and suddenly a bird alights on the branch in front of you that kind of finding. It's like it's already there. It's just presenting itself to you. But then we can just find it. Oh, there it is. There's the breath. Don't have to add any effort. It's already there. That's the very first thing. And the second part, uh, so I shouldn't say the second part, the first establishment of mindfulness that the Buddha talks about is the body in the body. Uh, becoming aware of the body. Um, and that phrasing, the body in the body, mm. it's a reminder that we're not separate from our body. Mm. So we become aware of the body from within our own body. And establishing ourselves there in this present moment in this body, just as it is. Uh, Also in the sutra, there's some contemplations uh, that the Buddha invites us to do about our body uh, so that we don't become overly attached uh, to it. So this practice of becoming aware of the body from within the body, not separate from the body. It's a very old, old practice. 
think about how old this practice is. When we remember the Buddha lived in 600 BCE, and there's been a continuous stream of practitioners for that amount of time, of becoming aware of the body, of the breath, And in doing this practice, a couple of things emerged that I'd like to share with you. And the first is, I was really practicing hard to try to get rid of these negative feelings, of the overwhelm, of the anxiety, of the suffering. And in coming back to my body, I was able to engage with this difficulty in a different way. So I was able to notice the suffering inside my body as it arose. So when I would read a news report, or when I would enter into the hospital and just watch the numbers of people with COVID who were hospitalized go up, What I was trying to do originally was, well, I know what to do here. I can just breathe and calm and release and all of these practices, but I I somehow had missed (laughs) the the part about just allowing that feeling to arise inside the body, to come up, to notice the, I am really anxious here. I'm really sad. I'm really afraid. To notice that and and allow it to be. There was some worry, I think, that that in allowing it to be, I might get stuck in that feeling. And so this was why that practice of becoming aware of the body was so powerful, because I was learning to let my mind settle a little bit, not to not feed that feeling. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty good evidence that a feeling that arises in the body will last for between 90 seconds and three minutes uh, if you don't feed it a story. Uh, but if you feed it a narrative, it can last a very, very long time. And so just allowing that feeling to arise, what does it feel like in the body to feel anxious or afraid? What are the resources I have to allow it to be? And then uh, to remind myself to engage that little bit of curiosity, that investigation that that we hear about in uh, the RAIN meditation that Tara Brock has popularized, and also uh, it's one of the seven factors of awakening uh, is investigation. And really reminding ourselves that to be curious when that fear arises, when that anxiety, when that sorrow, when that grief arises, to ask ourselves, where do I feel it? How do I feel it? 
Do I feel it everywhere in my body or in particular places? Is there a boundary to that feeling? Is it a fuzzy boundary or a sharp boundary? Just engaging this kind of curiosity in the mind. And what that does is it, it helps the story settle down a little bit, the story about it, and really wakes up that ability to be with that experience and to allow it to pass, to allow it to transform. Because what happens when we feed that experience is we don't give it permission to transform. We lock it into place. And I think what a lot of um, practitioners might do is we try to lock our calm feeling in place. We try to lock our uh, openness in place when that might not be what we're experiencing. And then we create this disconnect between what our experience is and what we think our experience should be. Um, And then it short circuits. And we often uh, get to a place of that overwhelm or get to a place of that that fear uh, and disconnection. And so this practice of coming home to the body is so fundamental so simple and yet very challenging to do because there is that that worry about letting ourselves feel the pain letting ourselves feel the discomfort and so one of the things that 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 we do in in these practices here is we really create a foundation of solidity of stability by just following the breath by training our concentration to be able to stay where we want it to go that's one of the purposes of (laughs) the reason we sit so much and follow the breath so much is to really train our attention to stay in one place for as long as we need it to. Because uh, without that ability to to remain with the experience of the body, our attention will go right back into our head and right back into that story and just continue uh, feeding it. And there are times where that will happen no matter how long you've been practicing. And so uh, we have other tools uh, to work with that, walking meditation, chanting, singing, calling friends, being with people, all of those other resources so that we can return to our capacity to experience. I remember uh, very early when I, I was introduced to this practice, there was a friend who was going through a separation with her partner and it was really, really painful and overwhelming. And uh, she mentioned that, she's like, you know, I don't want to just sit here and be with my feelings. I just want to listen to Van Morrison records. And, uh, 
And it was skillful practice at the time because she didn't have the capacity to allow those feelings to move. And so just kind of generated, uh, built the container bigger. So finding ways to do that too. I often will, when I'm in those places, I'll often just say to the experience, it's like, I know you're there, and I know you're trying to get my attention. And I promise you, I will give you attention later. But right now, I need to do something else. You're too big. I don't have the space. And then uh, returning the next time we sit on, I sit on the cushion, returning to that practice of, okay, I have the space now. What are you trying to tell me? Where am I experiencing this? And so, this practice of really letting go into our experience, into the body, supported by those the four establishments of mindfulness. The other three establishments are aware of the feelings in the feelings. So this is that feeling tone, aware of how, how we are experiencing uh, our connection. Is it negative, positive, or neutral? And moving up, uh, outward into the feeling, the mind, in the mind. And this isn't quite our thinking mind. Our thoughts and our mind are not the same thing. But this is more, what state of mind are we in? Are we joyful, anxious, sorrowful, grieving, happy, at peace? that kind of quality of mind. A friend of mine des- described it as the tint to the water. The water's clear, and what tint is being added to it through our mind? And just being aware of, of that, because that is also affecting that feeling tone, which can affect the body, and the body can affect the feeling tone in the mind as well. So just being aware of that whole system of interaction and then moving outward to the objects of the mind, the, our thinking, our, our sensations, the way that uh, the information from the outside world is coming into, into our inside world, and how our inside world is reaching out to the outside world, that whole connection. So the first three establishments are really looking just inward And then that fourth brings us outward to engage with the rest of the world. But one of the things that I realized with these practices was I wasn't really going all in. I wasn't really bringing my whole self. There was this little hook that was holding me back. Part of that was was worry or fear or anxiety about who will I be if I let go? Who will I be if 
I let these experiences be inside. Am, am I really strong enough or spacious enough to allow these things to be inside of me? And this turned me and returned me to the five powers or the five spiritual faculties. And the first one is the spiritual faculty or power of faith. Another way of looking at it is trust. Faith in the teachings of the Buddha, faith in the Dharma. And faith in our own capacity. Faith in our own capacity to be with our experience. Faith that we can allow whatever is inside of us to arise. In this practice of faith, of trust, it's very deep. It allows us to to really let go of of everything we think we know, to let go of control, to let go of wanting our experience to be something other than it is, to let go of grabbing on to an experience that we think we should keep. All of these practices, all of these ideas that we have, and to just allow whatever is there to be there. And this practice is very opening, uh, can open us to, to the experience, open us to what's happening inside us, and what's happening outside of us. And there's a, a, a tendency to want to, to want to grab on to things or push them away. I'm not a person who experiences anxiety, so I just need to breathe better. <laughs> Or maybe our breath is ragged and uh, shallow. And we sit down to meditate and we want to control that. We want our breath to be deep and slow you know, because that's what, when we're having a, a positive meditation experience, that's what our breath is like. Or maybe we don't want to be a person who gets angry at a situation that is outside of us. And so we have this uh, desire to push away the negative, uh, to grab on to the positive, and to 
maybe not even notice the neutral feeling tone experience. And this practice of faith, of trust, is trust in the moment, trust in ourselves, trust in the Dharma, in these very simple and very subtle practices. And I realized that that's what was missing. Didn't completely trust the breath. Didn't completely trust the body in the body. I didn't want, there was something I didn't want to let go of. Whether it was control or identity or whatever it was. You may have heard, and there's a parable or a koan of Zen that's practicing Zen is like stepping off a hundred foot pole. And so it really is just trusting, completely letting go of the pole of what comes next, and just allowing ourselves to be. other power that comes with faith, there are five of them. The next one is energy or diligence. And what happens is as we really let go, continually, subtly letting go of all these little things that are holding us, holding us back from the present, holding us back from our experience. We develop some energy, some enthusiasm around this practice. I completely related to that when when I rediscovered or returned to this practice of the body and truly trusted my body's experience. I found that I had more enthusiasm. Oh my gosh, this is really unpleasant. This experience is not, doesn't feel good. And then just letting it move. Wow. I don't have to hold on to it. I don't have to push it away. I can allow it to move. Then what? Then what? There's always this, now what? What's next? What part of my, what part of my life will reveal itself next? 
And this is where with that, that trust in, in the moment, uh, trust in the body, that energy came about. And this is when my, my capacity to love, to embrace the suffering around me and inside of me really started to wake up. Really started to to become uh, very alive. And I developed this practice of metta, of loving kindness, in a way that uh, was very, very supportive in what I needed uh, for myself and then was easy to translate outward. So I imagined if I had a very good friend who was myself, if I had this person as a friend who came to me and said, I'm really suffering today. I have uh, this underlying anxiety and feeling of overwhelm and concentration and grief and sorrow. And that here I was hearing that from my very close friend. How would I want to respond to that person? Would I want to tell him, oh, you just need to breathe more? <laughs> would I want to tell him, give him a, a Dharma talk about uh, how to let go of negative feelings? Maybe. But probably what I would first do is just see this suffering person in front of me and open my heart. And, you know, if our COVID precautions aren't in place, actually embrace the person. But embrace them with my whole being and just say, I know you are suffering and I'm here with you. Because we know that we may not be able to take another person's suffering away. We might try to talk them out of it or reassure them or things like that. But, but we know that, that if somebody is experiencing grief, whatever words we say to them aren't going to take their grief away. If we're very close to them, they might feel our, our desire to connect through our words. But really what, what holds suffering is our capacity to be open, to let our hearts be open, and to be very present with them. And so I developed this kind of practice with myself when I would see that suffering come up, it would emerge. And then alongside it would emerge this tenderness, this compassion, this desire to embrace and hold. And know your suffering. And I am right here with you. It feels a little strange. <laughs> There's two of me now. There's the suffering me, and there's the, the tender me. 
That's true. They're both there. They're both inside of us. And bringing up this this compassionate tenderness doesn't push this suffering away. There is room inside of us for both to be there at the same time. And what I've experienced and what you may experience as well is this holding of that suffering. For however long it takes, allows it to settle down. Doesn't make the situation different. Doesn't stop the pandemic or the war or climate change or our own personal losses. But it holds it in a way that allows that suffering to settle and to transform into more compassion. Because we realize that our suffering, our individual suffering, isn't just ours. It belongs to everyone. It belongs to the whole world. And so holding it and opening our compassion and our kindness generates more faith and more energy. Because the more we work with these kinds of practices, the more that our really difficult feelings transform with our, with our tenderness and our full presence, our whole being, we get even more reassurance that, oh yeah, these things really work. These aren't just practices that make us feel a little bit better, or make us appreciate the washing the dishes more, or appreciate the the bird song or the bright sun more, although they do. But bringing our whole self into it, we can see how profoundly transformative these things can be. It gets right down into the, into the very beginnings of our suffering all the way down into the roots of it. I remember as my faith in these practices got stronger and really began to wake up even more, I noticed how there were people who may not have ever been exposed to these practices. We did a lot of work with our nurses in the hospital, in the ICU, and their grief and suffering. 
or people who were nearing the end of their life in the hospital and, and the suffering that, that comes about with that. And how just becoming aware of the body in the midst of that suffering and aware of what's, what's happening inside of us and how allowing it to happen allows that transformation to occur. Just simple five-minute practices, most people. Transformed a lot of that, that overwhelm, because what it does is settles that story down. It settles that narrative down and just allows it to move. And so the, the next power is the power of mindfulness. And so we can see as, as you begin to trust in these practices and get more enthusiastic about it, naturally our, our mindfulness begins to strengthen because we just become more aware of what is inside and around us. Our ability to, to, to notice, to be aware, and to be aware with, with that attitude of curiosity and tenderness and kindness and compassion for ourselves and for other people really begins to strengthen when we become more settled and more aware. And after our mindfulness strengthens, along with that becomes our ability to concentrate, the fourth power. So we have our concentration now is not as dispersed, it not as easily pulled in directions by, by others or by our own internal state or our own thought process. Our concentration just becomes stronger. And this concentration isn't that kind of laser focus concentration that, that we might think about when we really have to put our full attention on a task at hand, but rather it's a kind of concentration that, that is very open, very relaxed, very at ease. It's a, a kind of focus that allows our awareness, our mindfulness, to take in as much as possible without pushing anything away or without grabbing on to something. And so this kind of concentration really allows our, our, our whole being to be, to be in this present moment. I like to think of, I like to think of this concentration sometimes like a leaf that just floats on the waves. It's very present with the waves but 
doesn't try to grab on to just that part of the wave. The leaf just kind of goes up and down, and our concentration just is there, embracing everything. And then as our concentration is able to rest with what our experience is, the fifth power is the power of wisdom or insight begins to arise. And we start to notice and see what is uh, uh, what the nature of of our experience, our individual experience, and our collective experiences. Just gain more understanding, more understanding of of ourselves, of how we respond, how others respond, and how and how we can begin to engage these practices with, with our compassion and tenderness. And then, of course, uh, it's a cycle. Uh, it's, as our wisdom increases, as our insight increases, we get more faith in these practices. And then it just uh, keeps going around and around. Uh, it's not a not a complete process. And I think one of the reasons that we keep coming back to these uh, practices, why we keep coming to Sangha practice week after week, year after year, is because we have that little bit of taste in the beginning, that faith that, oh my gosh, I had no idea how busy my mind was. Or, oh wow, I didn't know that. I could feel this kind of peace. That's that faith in the practice. But over time, uh, when it's a little less new and a little less different, it can be easy to start to get a little discouraged uh, with our practice. It can feel kind of flat or stagnant. And so the invitation is, to come back to that trust and then to start asking ourselves, why is my practice a little stagnant? Why is it a little flat? Why am I feeling a little flat in this? And inevitably for me, I realize that I'm holding on to something. I don't know what it is all the time, but I know that there's some kind of grasping, some tightness that doesn't want to quite let go. And for each of us, that will be very different. That's why these, that's why these practices are given to us as uh, individual. The, the Buddha always reminds us to, to be a lamp unto ourselves, to be our own guide through these. So we can share these practices, but they're not one size fits all in the sense that your experience will not be my experience. It can't be, because you and I are different people. But we really have to trust in our capacity to make these practices, which come to us kind of out there, from, from me teaching them or from reading them, 
but really bringing them inside so that they're very, very alive. This is engaged Buddhism. Engaged Buddhism is having our whole practice, our whole understanding of the practice alive inside of us. This is why it's been able to continue for 2,600 years, because there are people, sanghas, throughout that whole time who have learned how to embody these teachings, to make them not ideas, not notions, but to make them their lives. And now we get to do that. We get to make it our life. And so as we continue to develop our, our these powers of our faith, of trust, of diligence, and energy, and enthusiasm, and mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, and insight, we, we bring the Dharma into the very here and now so that they're not teachings that that are outside of us, but they are right here, right now. So to help us, to help us trust in ourselves and trust in the body's experience, to trust in our our feelings and our mind and uh, the way that we relate to the outside, the Buddha uh, offered us the teachings on impermanence and non-self. And impermanence is one of the things that allowed me to embrace that suffering because I knew that the experience of my suffering wouldn't last forever. I know that the the Buddha has taught impermanence, talks about impermanence, And I also know that as practitioners, we have to practice impermanence. We have to take it from an idea into an experience, into a practice, into our experience and our practice. So impermanence is something that we can practice with each breath. So as we breathe in, and breathe out. That breath is gone. That one that you just had, that is no longer. 
we aren't actually guaranteed another breath. On Tuesday night in Missoula at our Sangha practice, I shared that a friend of mine wakes up every day and says to himself, another day unpromised. And it's kind of how he cultivates that gratitude for the day. And I was doing walking meditation one day, and I was thinking about that another day unpromised. Yes, I was thinking I wasn't you know, fully present with each step. I was just contemplating it. And I realized that we, it's another breath unpromised. Things happen so suddenly. And so this presence with each breath, bringing our whole self to the breath, bringing our whole life into the breath, is one way that we can begin to practice impermanence, one way that we can start to really experience it, because we don't have the promise of another breath. So I often ask myself, If this were to be my last breath, how would I want to experience it? As Steve mentioned, I've been around a lot of people who are dying, and so I think a lot about what their experience is like and what what my experience will be like. Of course, I have no, I don't know yet. But I wonder, about that last breath. And and when I thought about it, I had some, a little bit of anxiety come up, a little bit of fear. Do I really trust this practice enough to just be present with the breath? To be present with the last breath? And it was really actually lovely to watch that anxiety come up. And it's, oh, oh, there's some more, some more things to let go of, some more things that are clinging. And so that's been a, a solid practice for me to continue to have that in, in my mind. If this is my last breath, how would I want to experience it? Of course, if I could control the situation I was in, I, you know, I have a whole list of things I would love. You know, I would love for these people to be around me. You know, all these things. Uh, I'm thinking about the end of my life, and I also know that I may not get to do that. And with that, that, pra- that practice of truly wondering, another breath unpromised. And fortunately, so far, we get another one. And today, we, we get the next breath. 
But what that does is it, it helps me to let go of whatever it is I'm holding on to, identity or control. Uh, I use that word control because there is this wanting to make the experience, make our experience something. We all have this, this desire to, you know, we hear about these practices of faith and letting go and say, oh, I want that, I want to do that. And then maybe we don't have that experience. And so we're trying to uh, push our, our experience around into, uh, into that, trying to make it something other than it is. And that's that little bit of, of hanging on. You know, if I have my last breath, I want it to be uh, perfect. So there is a little bit, oh, there's something interesting. There's a little something that's hanging on there. What is the perfect breath? I don't know. Maybe I just have it. Maybe I missed it because I wanted it to be something different. Maybe I, maybe I have this, this desire to, oh, well, maybe that one wasn't perfect. This one will be. This next one, that'll be the right one. And of course, in reality, whatever breath we have is perfect, even if it's painful. So that's a, a practice of impermanence. Another practice of impermanence is is that, that embracing of our suffering with our compassion, letting that suffering arise and the compassion arise, and then embracing it, and just being with it just as it is, and watching as it moves and changes and shifts and transforms. Sometimes it transforms into peace. Sometimes it transforms into more suffering. There's no guarantee what it will transform into. That's another practice of impermanence. Another practice is with the people around us. The people we love, the people who are close to us, the people we have disagreements with, people we're afraid of. Knowing that these people are just here on this earth for a short time. And just like, how would I want to hold my last breath how would I want to hold my last interaction with a person? When, uh, when I was dropping my son off at preschool a number of years ago, I always had a, uh, I always have this practice in mind of that last interaction, and so I would not, you know, I didn't want to put a burden on on him. Just like, this has to be perfect. <laughs> But I would just walk up to him and say, hey, goodbye. 
how do I feel? And then leave, because I had to, because I had to get to work and I had to get to school. That's a practice of impermanence. And I had a friend who said, oh, I'm going to go say goodbye to my son. And, uh, and she said, well, why? He's engaged, you know, just why interrupt him? Because transitions with young kids can be very challenging sometimes. And I said, uh, I said, no, it's all right. You know, it's, I just want to make sure to do this. And, and she's like, oh, right, you work in hospice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it was, a, it's a very, it was a very tender practice. And what it helped with, actually, was those transitions. You know, there wasn't this peeling off of a crying child, you know, which has... When I did work at the school, I had to help parents do that sometimes. Uh, and, it, um, and that's okay, too. And that was that experience as well. I had no guarantee that he wasn't going to throw a tantrum and not want me to leave. So all of these are practices of impermanence. And they, they, they feed our capacity to practice. Practicing impermanence really wakes up this practice of faith, of energy, of mindfulness, concentration, insight. Wakes up our ability to be in our bodies, to be in the body, in the body. And the other side of that practice of impermanence is the practice of non-self. This is that, this is a little bit about that, that hook that holds us into not completely letting go. There's this idea of identity that is wrapped up in it. Sure, we've all had the experience of we've been angry with somebody and, and that anger feels really justified. And we just want it to stay there, that justified anger. I know that I am right to be angry. Uh, and that, of course, is a practice of self. We very well may be justified in our anger. It might be a situation that warrants it. And what does justifying it and holding on to it do? Nothing. It makes us suffer. And it feels like letting go of that anger by embracing it with our compassion. And we have our friend who is very angry and so we just hold them. Feels like when we do that, that we're giving something up. That we're somehow not ourselves anymore. And this is a perfect place to practice non-self. Not the whole non-self of 
that we're all made up of things that come from outside of us, which is also a, a fantastic contemplation. All of our ancestors, all of our what what we consume through food and media and entertainment and conversations, all of that, of course, creates this identity of self. These are this is a perfect place to look at. What am I holding on to? Why am I holding on to it? What am I propping up? What am I supporting by holding on to this justified feeling? And I say justified because it often is. Someone is threatening you or or, if they're very angry at you. Those feelings come up. And suddenly it becomes a point of identity. And all of these things we've been talking about this morning is that embracing of being aware of what's alive in our body, watching that feeling of anger or fear or whatever it is come inside of us. And then embracing it and just holding it and letting it move is a practice of, of impermanence on the one hand and a practice of non-self on the other. Because these ideas uh, of, of this experience start to build up our identity of, of who we are, start to build up this image of, of ourselves. I long ago let go of this idea that I am a person who will not become frustrated or angry with my children. I wanted to be that person so bad, (laughs) so badly. And it wasn't until I could really hold that feeling that it started to to transform a little bit, (laughs) not completely. But they they develop some more spaciousness around it, and we can imagine this with with people that we disagree with ideologically or politically. Whose actions cause harm to ourselves, to our world, to others. Letting go of our anger or our frustration or our anxiety doesn't mean we let go of our desire to be compassionate and to transform the world's suffering. It just means that we wake up our body of love, our compassion, so that we can move into those situations from a new place, a place of not being afraid, of being solid, trusting ourselves, trusting our own capacity to practice as we work to ease the harm around us. Sometimes we have to say stop to a person. But we don't have to say stop out of our anger. 
we can say stop out of our love. And so these practices of impermanence, of non-self, really water these seeds inside of us to hold, embrace, and to transform. So that we can be fully present and alive with whatever is there, no matter how ugly or beautiful it is. To really trust in ourselves, in this practice. And if we don't get it perfect, trusting that that's okay too. Because we're not going to get it perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. Whatever you do is already perfect. So I hope uh, as we move through our day today and as we move through our through the rest of our, our lives that we can really generate this letting go into the present moment to really let go of whatever it is that's holding us uh, from holding us back from trusting this experience to not trying to to change it in any way and of course you know, to really wake up our capacity for love for compassion to ourselves, to other people, to our whole world, because it needs it. We need it. The people who are causing harm need it. Thank you.